Let's turn to Galatians chapter 5, because that's where all of this begins. And this is the most specific place that any of this is mentioned. Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to begin in verse 16. And if you were here for the series that we did a while ago on the book of Galatians, then you should remember very well some of the notes on this. If you were not here, it's on YouTube, so you could look it up, because we're looking at this a little bit differently tonight. So it's not going to be as much of an expository um, message verse by verse from this passage. Um, it's going to be more of a topical message. So, but we're looking at Galatians 5, beginning at verse 16. We were going to do this series a few months back, but um, it made sense to do it now because we're talking about getting back to the basics on Sunday morning. So if we want to see what would happen as we internalize and act out the things we're learning about, like, for example, the importance of having hope in God, the importance of why we do communion, what it is for, and what we're supposed to live through that act every time we do it, along with all the other things we're going to be talking about. Um, the work of the Spirit is shown in our lives in a unique way, yet it is something that all of us at some point, Lord willingly, should have exemplified in our life. And it's not something that we just teach to new believers or we teach the kids in Sunday school with the whiteboard and we have all the fruits on it. It's something that everybody in this room, no matter if we just got saved five minutes ago or we've been serving the Lord for 50 years, this is one of those things I personally believe that we should revisit. So I'm thankful that um, Pastor has given me the chance to start this out tonight. I'm sure by now you should be in Galatians. If not, I pray that you learn where all the books are. But Galatians 5, beginning in verse 16. It says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I'm a little hot, by the way, uh, on the mic for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you doing the things. Thank you. You want to do, but. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, these next few verses are where I want to focus for a minute. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions... <clears throat> divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things like this. In other words, etc. Because we'd be here all night if we were going to talk about the works of the flesh. And Paul says, I warn you as I've warned you before 
Those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So the actions or the fruit of the flesh, if you will, are evident in the lives of those who do not have Christ. So now Paul is about to say in contrast, because that's what the but is there for, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things there is no law. And I love verse 24. It says, Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And then I'll end on verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So if we live according to the ways of God, what Paul is saying is that it will be exemplified by these different things. And notice how it says the fruit of the Spirit, which is singular. It's not the fruits of the Spirit. Going back to the little analogy that y'all laughed at about the whiteboard. When I was in Sunday school, or I also went to a Christian school, and whenever they would talk about the fruits of the Spirit, because they said it with an S, you know, the apple was love, and the banana was peace, and this was joy. And that. But when Paul wrote this, he was referring to that picture right there, a cluster of grapes. Because how many of you know when it comes to the things of God, we don't have the liberty to pick and choose what He does in our life. It's a whole package. And I'm thankful that's it, that it's a whole package. Because to be honest with you, you can't be joyful if you don't have love. You can't have joy if you don't have peace. You, you can't be kind if you don't have joy. Notice how everything goes together. Everything works with each other. That's why this imagery of a cluster of grapes works because all of them are connected to a singular vine on little branches. Does that sound familiar? John chapter 15, what did Jesus say? I am the vine and you are the branches. And he who's connected to me, I'm paraphrasing now, they would bear much fruit. So that's why we're going over this. It's very important that we self-examine, self-reflect every so often. Are we being fruitful? It's a healthy thing to do. In fact, Paul says, and it's not up there because I'm only going to paraphrase it, but in 2 Corinthians 13.5, he tells us to test ourselves to see if we're really in the faith. Now, that doesn't mean doubt your salvation 24-7, but it means do this self-examination. See, okay, I say that I'm a Christian. I say I'm serving God. Where's the evidence or where is the fruit? I mean, Jesus made it clear what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God. John 14-15 says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. That's pretty much the standard. If you love me, you'll obey my commandments. It's important that we're able to see and others are able to see that there is fruit. Any of you with a green thumb, 
I'm looking specifically at Sister Pam, because she has, if you haven't been to her house, she has so many plants, she's laughing right now. My family even gave her plants to take care of, and they're all growing and doing fine. But, so she's the plant expert, so you could correct me if I'm wrong, but she's saying no. Yes, you are. Don't worry. Don't be modest. But if, if, a, if a tree is supposed to be growing fruits, and it doesn't after a while, something might be wrong with the tree, right? Yeah, exactly. So you don't have to be a plant expert like Sister Pam to know that. If the tree is not bearing fruit, something is wrong with the tree, The same thing happens in our relationship with God. If there is no fruit, then there may be a hindrance, something blocking us. My question would be, are we exemplifying the works of the flesh that are evident, or is the fruit of the Spirit being seen in our life? Because I would would dare to say, and I say this very carefully, but if there is no fruit... There is most likely no faith. Because there needs to be some kind of outward manifestation of an inward work. Some kind of evidence or expression of that inward status or state of being. So when we got saved, we also got sanctified. But as I talked about a couple weeks ago, it's not just one and done. There's that process of being made more like Christ. So my question would be for myself included and for all of us, where are we in that process? Because Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. He also said in Mark 7, 20 through 23, that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles a man. For From within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. Those are evidence of the flesh at work. But what about evidence of the Spirit at work? Well, James, the half-brother of Jesus, put it this way. And I know there's a lot of Scripture, but you know what? It's Wednesday night Bible study, so we can handle it. Amen? James says in James chapter 2, beginning at verse 14, he says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? It's a rhetorical question. The answer would be no. Now suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs. In other words, you see someone in need, especially a brother or sister in the faith, and you don't do anything to help them. You're just like, well, good luck. What good is that? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. And I like how it says that. You can go back to it, verse 17. I like how it says that in verse 17, because some people try to take this and say, well, if I don't follow this specific checklist of rules, then I don't have faith. 
and we've said it before, works do not produce faith. Works is a result of faith. So if we believe that God is a healer, we're going to pray for people to be healed. You see? But you could, you, you could say that you believe something all day long. But if you do not, for better lack of a term, put your actions where your mouth is, then there's really nothing substantial. There's nothing there. Verse 18 says, But someone will say, You have faith. I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds. I'll show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there's one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. I love that because a lot of people say, Well, I believe in God. I believe He exists. Well, I believe the sky is blue. Tomato, tomato. It's the same thing in God's eyes. Believing in the existence of God is not believing in God. It says, you foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? And I love this example that he does here. He says, was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? Anybody remember that story? God asked Abraham to put down his most prized thing on the altar and sacrifice it to him. It says, you see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was, watch this, made complete by what he did. Because it wasn't just this anymore. There was something with substance behind it. So when the world looks at you, when the world looks at me, if we say that we're a Christ follower, my prayer would be that there will be something behind us that backs up what we say. Amen? Verse 23. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteous. And he was called God's friend. Verse 24, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone or profession of faith alone would be a better way to put it. In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute. Uh oh, considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. I like this because we have two things going on and James says both ways. This is how it works. He, he picks the person who was the cream of the crop in Judaism, Father Abraham, and compares him to what would have been considered in that society, and maybe still today, the lowest of the low, Rahab, a prostitute. Both of them, though, had faith. And both of them, though, exemplified their faith. So you know what this proves to me? God is no respecter of persons. As long as we believe in Him, as long as we trust in Him, as long as we put to work what is in us, we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. It doesn't matter where we've come from. As long as we look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, as long as we do what he's told us to do, God will use anybody who would be compared in that situation to Rahab, and God would use anybody at the same level as Abraham. There's no special class with God. 
And that's why we come back to this theme. If there is no fruit, there is most likely no faith. That's why it's important that we have fruitfulness. And that's why we're going over the fruit of the Spirit. Because if the Spirit dwells inside of us, there would be all of these different qualities being exemplified. And I actually have a video clip that I put up there um, that is going to help a little bit with the illustration of fruitfulness. And so whenever you guys are ready, you can go ahead and put it on. I get a checkup uh, every year. I, I, I always get a yearly checkup. And uh, my doctor, he attends our church, and uh, he always asks me this question every year. He says, how's your appetite, Pastor? How's your appetite? Because one of the signs of good health is a good appetite. Now, there's only one thing that will satisfy good appetite, and that's good food. But therein lies a problem. Because how do you define good food? Because I'll tell you something I've learned about my doctor. The way I define good food and the way he defines good food are not always the same. See, if you're like me, I have one criteria that I use to define good food. It's taste. If it's good to me, it's good food. Now, my doctor has a totally different standard. His standard is not taste. His standard is nutrition. And where my question is, is it good to me, his question is, is it good for me? Now, fruit is one of those magical foods that meets both criteria because fruit is not only good to the taste, it's also good for the body. The very first diet that the very first couple were put on was a fruit diet. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 16, God said to Adam and Eve, you are free to eat fruit from any tree in the garden. The psalmist, for example, said, that in Psalm 1-3, a righteous man is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season. Psalmist said, if you're a righteous man, if you're a godly man, if you're really connected to God, you will have, you'll be like a fruitful tree. The wisest man who ever lived said, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. You'll remember this. Jesus said, there's one surefire way you can tell the difference between a true believer and a false believer. What is that? Fruit. Jesus said, by their fruit, you will recognize them. And he went on to say, if you're truly connected to me as a branch is to a vine, you will bear fruit. He said this in John 15, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. I can tell every one of you in this room right now who claim to know Jesus, claim to love Jesus, claim to live for Jesus, I can tell every one of you in this room beyond a shadow of a doubt how close you really are to Jesus right now. How much fruit's in your life? Can, can an outsider, could an outsider just observe the way you conduct your life on a daily basis and see the fruit of Christ in your life? He said, that's how you do it. Now, the question is, why does God want us to be like fruit? And, and why does God have such a strong desire that we bear fruit? Well, I believe it's because of the qualities of fruit. Because He wants me and you to live a life that is both good to others and good 
for others. In other words, He wants our lives to be tasty. He wants us to live lives that are so attractive that people will be drawn to us like a hungry man is to a plate of good food, and when he takes it, he finds it's not only good to him, it's good for him. that it's good to them, it's good for them. If people are in your life and the people that you're surrounded by, when they are with you, do they feel that you are someone who is good to them and good for them? Remember, Jesus, the Bible says, grew in stature and in favor with both God and with man. So it's important that we bear these things in our life. So it's good to ask, are we showing love? Do we have joy? Are we at peace? Are we patient? Are we kind? Do we exemplify goodness? Are we faithful? Are we loyal to people? Are, are, do we have gentleness? The, the, the way that we carry ourselves, the way that we deal with conflict, are we gentle? Are we quick to fight back? Do we have self-control? Are we able to keep ourselves in composure no matter what is going on? Not pretending that there are no situations, but being able to have ourselves in a position that we're able to be in control. We don't allow what's happening around us to control us. In other words, we are not thermometers changing with the environment. We're thermostats. You know, I, I've asked this before, and it's something that I've been looking into again recently. Just because it's been on my heart and it's this. If you were being put on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? If people saw the way you lived, and I know a lot of this sounds circular, but it is. If, if people saw the way you lived, if people saw the way you spoke, if people saw the way you act, would they know that you're a Christian? Have you ever had that random moment? Maybe you're at Walmart, Publix or something. You pass by somebody, the way they speak to you, it resonates with you and you're like, they must be a Christian. And have, have you ever had that happen before? It's because there's something there. It's, it, it's, it's the Holy Spirit. Now, how many of you know, maybe that wasn't how it was when you first got saved. There were still some things that, are, that were being pulled out or being worked out of you. You know, kind of like going back to Jesus' analogy of pruning a plant. We have these two plants actually in the lobby. And yeah, this is good. We have kept those things alive for so long. Apparently that lily right there has been there longer than I've been here at the church, as far as I know. But you know why it's been able to be kept alive so well? We give it sunlight. We give it water. Sister Pam worked her... No? Oh, Sister Kim did something on the plants. Yeah. And 
another funny thing. I heard coffee grounds work. So we have a Keurig. And before, I was pouring coffee into the plants, just room temperature coffee. And I'm like, no, I should just cut the little things open and put the coffee grounds into the plants so that they stay alive, so they get nutrients. How many of you know we need nutrients? What are our nutrients? How do we become more fruitful? How do we become more like Christ? We, we, we study this. Like David said, on his law, we meditate day and night. How, how, do, we, how do we get fruitfulness? We, we have fellowship with other believers. I, w- I was speaking yesterday to one of my spiritual mentors. He said, he said, think about the people that you most admire and intentionally try to look into their lives. See how they live their lives. Look at their qualities, the positive ones and the ones that you don't like. Just cross them out in your head and forget about them. And by the time you're done, just say, well, it was worth it because they're great people. <laughs> All of us have our quirks, amen? But we, we have to look at what is around us. We have to look at what's in front of us, just like with those plants. If we see that something's wrong with them, we try to do something to help them grow. We try to do something to help them survive. So we, we work together. Fellowship with one another is something that helps us be fruitful. That's why Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 talks about us spurring or telling each other, encouraging one another to do good works. In fact, I was at a... Bible study last night, and they were talking about, um, it's a Bible study with a bunch of people from a bunch of different churches, uh, young adult study, and one of them was talking about a meeting that they had in their staff that they said that they were talking about one-upping each other in honor, and I'm like, well, that's a weird way to say it, because, yeah, Dan's puzzled as I was. Because when you say you want to one-up somebody, you know, that means you want to be better than someone. Like, it's a competition. Like, oh, I could do this better than you. Oh, I could do this better than you. But what it was is that they feed off of each other because of their strengths. And they also know each other's weaknesses. So they're able to make up for wherever the other person may not do well. So they're able to do the work of the ministry without fault or fail. Why? Because they're surrounded by other people. Prayer is a way to have fruitfulness. Definitely, I'd say, one of the number one things. That's why Jude one twenty says, pray in your most holy faith. Build up yourself in your most holy faith. Praying in the Spirit. What's praying in the Spirit again? Praying in accordance with the Spirit. Getting on the same wavelength as the Spirit. So spending time with God that, that helps us to be fruitful. All of these things. All of these things will help us to love better. All of these things will help us to have more joy. I mean, how many of you have been in a situation where you felt that the day was going horrible, but the moment you started praising God, it's like something turned around, like a light switch came on. You, you can see clearly now the rain is gone. You, you, you feel that sense of peace. You, you, you feel His presence. All of these things help us to be more fruitful. But of course, there is another option. We can coast and we can be comfortable. 
And we could not listen to when the Holy Spirit wants us to do something. And we could put him off. I've done that plenty of times. And you know what? I, I never regret saying yes to God because he always knows better than me. But I regret every time I say no. I regret every time I say no. Why? Because there was something that he wanted to do in me. Maybe there was something he wanted to prune out of me. And I said, no, thanks, God. I know better. Looking back, that, that's what it really is. When, when God says, okay, let, let, let's go over here. Let's remove this so that you can be more fruitful, so that you can do more for the kingdom, so you can be a better spouse, so you can be a better parent, so you can do better at work, so you can be a better Christian. Do we say, yes, God, I'm ready for you to cut and pull out? Or do we say, no, God, I know better? Trust me, it's hard. I'm not saying this to make it any, you know, yeah, that kind of distracted me, sorry. I'm not trying to say that to make it sound um, oversimplified. But it is something that all of us deal with at some point, that decision. And let me go back to the thing about fellowship, because that's important. Um, I've been reminded over and over of that proverb that says, um, well, first of all, there's two of them. The first one says, bad company corrupts good character. The, the second one says, that it's better to receive wounds from a friend than multiplied kisses from an enemy. And if I was to put that in you know, layman's terms, you'd know what I was saying. It's better, how many of you know it's better to receive correction when it comes from someone who cares for you than for somebody to be a yes person? They agree with you on everything. So nothing ever changes. George Washington, our first president, he was actually pretty smart. He knew not to surround himself with yes people. In fact, when he was picking his cabinet, he purposely picked people that were not in his political party. He purposefully picked people that had opposite viewpoints than him, along with those that he agreed with. Why? So that he could hear every possible viewpoint, and he could hear every possible thing, and of course, through prayer and through hearing all sides of the issue, then he was able to make adequate decisions. How many of you know you might not agree with everybody, but sometimes, especially if they're a believer, they may be seeing something that you don't see. And they could help you grow. They could help you bear fruit. I don't know why I'm going down here right now. It's not even in the, in the paper. But I feel like it's important, myself included, that we glean from wisdom. It's in a multitude of counselors. Thank you, Jesus. That there is safety. One of the things that I was actually told most recently as well is you either have two options. And this is something that can apply to anybody. And that's why I say it tonight. We can either live in obedience to God. Or we can keep doing whatever it is we're doing and we can expect ourselves to struggle for the rest of our life. We either walk in step with the Spirit and we ask God how to help us do that better because 
you know, if, if Paul said, I haven't attained it, none of us have attained it. Amen? Or we can keep doing whatever it is we're doing and not grow. How many of you want to grow tonight? Because I want to. I, I, I definitely want to be sure that I'm, I, I'm, I'm living according to this book. I'm living a life of holiness. And if there's a moment that I mess up, I know that God, he'll correct me. He'll discipline me. And I'm not saying that to be condemning or say, oh my gosh, why aren't you people doing better? <laughs> That's not the point. But, but what it is, is that may we be open to when the Holy Spirit asks us to do something. Because when we do, we will bear more fruit. And, you know, if we do end up going in the wrong direction, how many of you know as well that God has a way of pulling us back? And sometimes it might be dark and it might be stinky, like Jonah getting eaten up by that fish. I'm not saying he's going to send a fish to get you. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, it's always worth the process in the end. That's something I'm still learning. That's something that all of us, I believe, will learn until we make it to glory. But it's always worth listening to God. Because I, I would rather... I would rather listen to his leading. I would rather examine these little areas in my life. Do I have love? Do I have joy? Do I have peace? Do I have patience? Do I have kindness? Do I have goodness? Do I have gentleness? Do I have faithfulness? Do I have self-control? How can I grow in these areas? I'd rather do that self-examination and hear him say, when I make it to heaven, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into your reward than for him to be disappointed because I missed out on something. How, how many of you know we should pray what David prayed in Psalm 139? He said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. In fact, I'll pray that over us. Lord, search us and know our hearts. Jesus, try us, test us, know our thoughts, know if we are going where you want us to go. Tell us if we need to change the way we think, renew our mind, because when we renew our mind, that's how we're able to test and approve your will. Know my thoughts. And Lord, see if there is any wicked way inside of us. Both things that we've done in ignorance and things that we've done with intention, Lord. Search out those things in our hearts. And Lord, lead us in the way everlasting. Lead us in your righteousness. For your name's sake, God. And there may be moments that it may be difficult and we may walk through dark valleys or the valley of the shadow of death, but I'm thankful that you tell us you will, we, we have nothing to fear. We can fear no evil because you are with us. Lord, I pray that as we look over um, attributes of the fruit of the Spirit in the coming weeks, I pray, God, that you would just teach us and show us what it is that you would want for us to do. 
Father, I pray that we would be open to your pruning, that we would be open to your discipline and correction. Lord, we, we, we just want to be better. We just want to serve you better. We, we want to grow in our relationship with you so that we can draw others to you, so that we, we can be something that has a pleasant taste and that people can taste and see that you are good through us. So in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.